Well, good evening, everybody. It's Chris here from the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mere, Alberta, and I'm joined by my friend Carrie Lambert, who is in Red Deer, Alberta. I'm in, I'm in Red Deer, and obviously in some weird lobby thing because I have to, I have other stuff to do. And Chris calls and says, "Hey, you know what? We should actually do a rebuttal about uh, Gil McGowan's um, <laughs> weird speech we have that to. he did we at the ledge because we cannot <laughs> let people like that." Get no, away I agree. saying the things they're saying without totally agree. viciously and politely shredding yeah. their argument for the world to see. Now, um, for some of you who have asked, uh, we haven't done a show in a little bit here because Carrie and I are both busy. We both have lives. Sometimes we even, you know, just as you do, we just don't feel like doing much of anything. And, and that was me last week. I kind of was in a little bit of a blah, so I didn't want to do much. But... Um, the world keeps turning. Facts yes, don't does. care about our feelings. And I think we need to start uh, really pushing hard to make sure that we get some facts out there to dispute some of the crap that's going around this province these days because we're on the cusp of doing something amazing in this province. Yeah. We And I actually... Go ahead. No, you, no I, I was just going to rant, so you better interrupt. <laughs> I was just going to say, and of course... It would be one thing if Chris is just talking or if it's just me talking, but we figured it would be even better to actually get two great people to be, that were basically involved in creating this Sovereignty Act involved and actually talking to them about what Gil had to say. Yeah. So, you know, we, I, I think one of these days we should actually reach out to a couple other folks and have a discussion with them as well. But uh, tonight we have Dr. Dennis Modry. Uh, and and Mr. Leighton Gray, both good friends of ours, and they both have uh, um, individually their brains are larger than Carrie's and eyes to, eyes together. So you know when they say when they talk about this stuff, they really speak with an authority that I will never hope to achieve. Mm -hmm. um, so I would encourage you, if you want to know what the other side is, and I would argue that it's the factual and real side of this story about the Alberta Sovereignty Act and uh, in relation to what Gil McGowan and the NDP are yeah. saying about it. Yeah. Now's the time. So um, share, stick share, around, share. try to yeah. break through the 640 kilobit, uh, I mean the three-minute uh, <laughs> attention span barrier and watch this yeah. one to the end because there's going to be a lot of good information and it's going to give you a lot of stuff yeah. to think about. And if and nothing else, yeah. it's great. We're going to be talking about what the Sovereignty Act is, uh, how it came to be, all those sorts of things. So this is not just a very top level thing. We're getting into the meat and potatoes of this. Yes. So I like meat speaking and of meat and potatoes, or uh, I guess I should say doctors and lawyers. Yes. Without further ado, I would like to welcome Dr. Dennis Modry and Mr. Leighton Gray to the Chris and Carrie show. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for coming on tonight. Excellent to be here. With short there. notice, as we usually do things. <laughs> That's typical. Are you guys staying warm? As warm as we can. Yeah, it's like minus 8,000 here in uh, Red Deer. So central yeah. Alberta, just this band of cold. Yeah, it was so cold I had to bring the chicken in. But thankfully, <laughs> uh, she's appreciative. And she's been laying eggs in my bathroom for me. So that's something. Nice. That's that's great. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, get out of the shower and there's breakfast right there ready for me. Good heavens. Uh, Only in Mirror, Alberta. Exactly. 
So, so how do we want to start this? Because I think uh, the important thing right right away is before we even get into talking about what Gil was saying is let's talk about what is the Sovereignty Act? How did it even come into play? And what is like give us give us the uh, the, the pointers of what's going on with the, with that. And, and and likewise, why is the rest of the country all staring at Alberta right now? And why are people's heads exploding lately? That's they are exploding. I've seen it. Leighton, do you want me to start off with the background sure. and then you and sure. then you can uh, yeah. so please do Dennis. There were three very bright people that uh, drafted the Sovereignty Act as a part of the Free Alberta strategy. And the three authors were Barry Cooper, who's an academic at the University of Calgary, Rob right. Anderson, who's a lawyer with Dentons, um, and Derek Fromm, who is a constitutional lawyer. And the, the basic um, premise of the Alberta Sovereignty Act um, addressed a couple of things that were really quite important. Um, and one of them is uh, <clears throat> constitutional control, provincial control, if you will, of, of um, financial institutions in Alberta. And that included ATB and Alberta-based credit unions, um, insurance companies, etc. And um, it seemed like a pretty good idea when you consider that the federal government demonstrated to the Canadian public and to the world their ability to freeze people's accounts uh, during the trucker convoy for those people who were who generously contributed to help support uh, the truckers on their quest. So. So this is one way in order for the provincial government to protect uh, um, Alberta depositors from federal government overreach. And so that component of it seemed quite good. Um, one of the things that I think helped get the premier elected um, in the context of the Alberta Sovereignty Act was that for the first time in 117 years, she demonstrated a spine to stand up against federal um, overreach of provincial constitutional authority. And whereas, and, and uh, Leighton, who is a constitutional lawyer and litigator can weigh in uh, more clearly on this, um, in the beginning, the Alberta Sovereignty Act did imply that there would be um, an ability of the provincial government through the Sovereignty Act to not enforce federal law. And this is where I think it created a problem with even some caucus members, people in the public, and obviously the opposition went ballistic. Uh, and so <clears throat> the way the, and, and this was a criticism that, that I leveled, um, through the Alberta Prosperity Project as well, uh, that it didn't make sense. If you want provincial control um, of our wealth and our affairs, <clears throat> there's an easier way to do it other than creating a, a, um, a constitutional crisis um, and invite the wrath of the federal government. Because I, as I pointed out in, in an article and in conversations with Derek Frum and, and um, and uh, Rob Anderson, who drafted the document, um, is that 
what you didn't anticipate was what the federal government would do in response. And what they always do when the province doesn't enforce federal law or dictate is they withhold transfer payments and mm -hmm. to a level in which the provincial arm is twisted uh, to the point of capitulation. So, so the Sovereignty Act really was designed to protect Alberta's interests and her freedoms and her rights and her prosperity by, by um, um, preventing or not enforcing uh, federal law that overrode provincial constitutional authority. So it's basically standing up for what our constitutional rights are, not dissimilar to what happens in Quebec. It's just that Quebec doesn't get attacked by the federal government, and we do. But I'll start. Can I just interject something, Dennis, before I forget? <clears throat> yeah. So I know right now there's people saying, you can't do that. You can't ignore federal law. It's unconstitutional. The Constitution is mm -hmm. the supreme law of Canada. That is true. However, when there's a dispute in law, um, as, as we're all too familiar with, it goes to court. And in this case, um, we have been accepting and, and, and submitting to federal law that interferes in Alberta jurisdiction. And the province has been harmed while we're waiting to get into court. What, yeah. what the other option is to say, no, we're not going to do it. And if you want us to, you take us to court and you prove that your, your interference in our province is constitutional. So yeah. it's not saying that nobody wants to respect the law or respect the courts or utilize the courts for this. It's just saying we're going to err on the side of caution for the province rather than capitulate to the federal government. And if they can prove that they're justified, that's a different story. So, sorry, and I, I think one. Of, I, I could hear the keyboard clicking over the internet. <laughs> I think one of the things that uh, you know obviously has happened in the last couple of years is healthcare, and a lot of people were thinking that that's a federal thing, because the federal government has basically said, no, you got to do this, you got to do that. I won't say what it is because everybody knows what it is, but that's actually a pro provincial um, jurisdiction, and so there's all these sort of crossovers that the federal government are, are coming into provincially, and now with this act. It's basically saying, no, 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 you know what? We're, this is what we're looking after. You guys stay on your side of the fence. Yeah. Well, Kerry, you bring up a good point. I'll just add to that. The yeah. Canada Health Act overrides yeah. um, provincial constitutional authority on health care. And so okay. it, it fundamentally now has created a health care system in Canada that functions in the lowest quartile of quality at the highest quartile of cost. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's partly related to the Canada Health Act, which prevents creative solutions to solving the problems of healthcare in terms of access, quality, and cost. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're getting away from the uh, Sovereignty Act. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I think, Leighton, why don't, why don't you uh, comment on, you know, from a legal perspective, what you see as the basic tenets of the Alberta Sovereignty Act? I'd be happy to do that. I, I should preface though, I, I do have a bias. You know, I, I could not speak more highly of our premier. I think that we have the best leader in Canada. I had the opportunity to, to meet with this lady recently and uh, you know, she's, she's brilliant. Uh, she's sincere. She listens. She genuinely cares about Albertans. And uh, you know, she has this sort of a Maggie Thatcher quality to her. She's also very, very tough. 
and she's demonstrated that recently. So I just, I'm, I'm putting my bias out there. I'm also going to, you know, say this in order to, and this is an old lawyer trick. Uh, what I'm about to tell you about the Sovereignty Act is backed up by a higher power, namely uh, Mr. Justice John Major, formerly of the Supreme Court of Canada, Alberta Supreme Court Justice, who recently put out an opinion that essentially agrees with what I'm about to tell you about the Sovereignty Act. So here's my view. My view is that most of what the leftist media is saying about the bill is complete rubbish. And it comes from a place of profound ignorance about the precise legal structure of Canadian federalism. So the act is, is hardly unconstitutional. It does not uh, violate the rule of law, nor does it circumvent our courts. Uh, that might have been true of, uh, and Dennis knows this, of earlier editions of, of the bill, which he quite properly criticized. But I happen to think that this one, this version of it, will withstand judicial scrutiny. As I say, John Major thinks so too. So the bill says that, quote, nothing in this act is to be construed, construed as authorizing any order that would be contrary to the Canadian Constitution and any directive to a person other than a provincial entity that would compel the person to act contrary to or otherwise in violation of any federal law. So what does this mean? Well, it means that these attacks upon the bill uh, by people like Mr. McGowan stem mostly from misunderstanding of how Canada is structured. So um, during a recent uh, podcast interview with Dr. Jordan Peterson, our premier uh, quite adroitly explained that Canada is a federation of sovereign jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. So the federal government is sovereign within certain specific areas of authority. Uh, for example, uh, maritime uh, borders, you know, postal service, military, things of that nature. Similarly, the provinces are sovereign within their own exclusive areas of jurisdiction. So these would include things like health, education, natural resources, um, you know, things of that nature. Uh, that is how a federation is intended to work. Okay. So the problem we face in Canada is that successive liberal governments, especially those headed by men named Trudeau, elder and younger, have mistaken federal for national, and they're not synonymous. Uh, Canada, Canada does not ha have a national government, uh, but the federal liberals have been trying to alter the structure of Canadian federalism by increasingly yeah encroaching into exclusive areas of jurisdiction as, such as the ones that I've described. The main one lately being, uh, you know, natural resources, They're doing that through through the environment and health. <clears throat> so the Sovereignty Act simply asserts constitutional powers that already exist in law. And Mr. Polyev just said this recently when he, he was asked about the Sovereignty Act. Now, the original Free Alberta strategy that uh, Dennis just talked about included proposals to ignore federal law, but the Premier has wisely not included that those in this legislation according to the supreme court of canada there's nothing in the constitution requiring alberta to enforce federal laws that's an important point nor is alberta required to cooperate with ottawa in terms of enforcement so the recent gun confiscation legislation is, is a prime example where alberta and saskatchewan now manitoba have said we're not enforcing that and they can do that they don't have to they don't have to enforce uh federal laws it's not their job so the greatest objection to the new bill appears to be the new powers granted to the provincial cabinet. Uh, this is a little bit ironic because, of course, those of us who've uh, lived through the last three years know that the Kenny government used Section 29 of the Public Health Act to appoint a health dictator uh, who ruled over us uh, for, as an autocratic dictator for, for years. Uh, but a motion now under the new bill, a motion can now be brought stating how a particular federal law violates provincial jurisdiction or is otherwise harmful to Albertans. The motion, however, must outline a series of actions that the government, 
quote, should consider taking in respect of the federal initiative. So in other words, it has to outline how the, how the problem is going to be solved by the province. So the issue here is that the cabinet can make changes to provincial laws without taking amendments before the legislature for debate and a vote. Now, this appears to offend the concept of representative government. This is what Mr. McGowan is railing about. And it resembles the authority which uh, Ottawa has under the Emergencies Act. But that does not make the bill unconstitutional, particularly since the power exercised by the cabinet is delegated to, to the cabinet, which is called the executive by the Alberta legislature. So in other words, and the Supreme Court of Canada has held this many times, as long as the, 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 um, this delegation of power to cabinet is done democratically in accordance with the constitution and in accordance with, uh, with the legislation, it's perfectly uh, legal and constitutional. So people trying to, and, 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 uh, and Justice Major commented on this, uh, people trying to uh, to say that this is is going to be struck down as unconstitutional, I think are uh, you know are whistling Dixie. The net effect of the Sovereignty Act is is not to claim new powers, and this is the key thing I would say. Mm -hmm. It doesn't create new powers. It doesn't claim new powers. It instead asserts the existing legal authority provided in Section 92 of the Constitution Act to prevent Ottawa from continuing its persistent campaign of encroachment into provincial sovereignty. Put another way. It's only because the federal government is violating the Constitution, the Sovereignty Act is even necessary. Indeed, in a properly operating federation, uh, this bill would be entirely unnecessary. We wouldn't need it. We only need it because we're making because the, the, the province and, our, and thankfully our premier and cabinet have shown the courage to stand up to Ottawa. Uh, so um, I hope this summary is, uh, is of assistance. I'll just add one further note. And and, uh, and and Justice Major actually pointed this out. Uh, people don't realize this, but if the federal government really thinks that this bill is unconstitutional, you know, there is a mechanism whereby they can refer the matter for reference to the Supreme Court of Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, interestingly, they have not done that. In fact, I've never heard anyone in the Liberal government say that they plan to do it. But if they really want the federal government really wants to know if this bill is un unconstitutional, they can they can refer it as a direct reference to the Supreme Court of Canada, and I think that uh, that 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 the Smith government is daring them to do it because they've really done their homework here. It's a totally constitutional bill. It's a well structured bill, well thought out, um, and I think that it's going to survive judicial scrutiny. And uh, and the people who are complaining about it, I think, are just complaining because. Um, because it's it's not it's not to their liking. Here's uh, now if, something that's come up. So let's say worst case scenario, we end up with an NDP government and this bill is legislation. Right. Is it possible for for Rachel Notley and the um, the uh, No Dam Pipelines Party to use this legislation in a manner that uh, allows them to uh, kind of mirror the basic dictatorship of China? Um, well, that, no, the, here's the thing. The, the bill is designed, well, what it does is it, it, it simply claims, uh, it, it asserts powers that already exist in law. Mm. That's a key thing. And that's not what the people who are criticizing it uh, understand, or maybe they do understand it and they're trying to misre misrepresent what it is. There's nothing in the Sovereignty Act that creates anything new under the sun. It, it's simply an assertion of the powers that already exist. It's a statement to Ottawa 
and to the rest of Canada that Alberta is not going to be bullied anymore constitutionally. So the answer to your question is really, it's not going to give the Notley government or any other government that comes along in Alberta any new powers. Now, the Notley government uh, could certainly, uh, if they came along, could actually create new powers that would uh, make it, uh, uh, you know, more autocratic. And of course, um, you know, we've seen under Section 29 of the Public Health Act how that can be done. Yeah, um, yeah. We actually had, this is horrifying to say, I mean, it hurts me to have these words pass my lips, but we actually had an Alberta government that used democratic machinery to pass a law that created a health dictator. And we all saw yeah. how that turned out. Yeah. And nobody, I didn't see Gil McGowan jumping up and down about that. But look at, no. look at right here. It, it literally says that this, this act, this, this proposed legislation is to be used when the uh, uh, federal government intrudes into an area of provincial legislative jurisdiction under the Constitution of Canada. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say uh, Rachel Notley can have more powers if she wants them. It says the government may use these specific powers in the event that Ottawa is uh, intruding into our jurisdiction. Yeah. Right. But again, these powers already exist. It's just that the federal government is behaving as if they don't. So this is just, if, and I put it another way, this is a restatement. This, this is a restatement under a provincial law of what already exists in the Constitution Act of Canada. And that's why it's not, it is not un unconstitutional. So even if, if people, if, if there was a rise up and they wanted it to go to the Supreme Court, uh, number one, how long would that process take? And number two, would it be done now or wait till it becomes law? Or like, what's what would be the process? Well, the reference can be a reference can be done relatively quickly. Um, okay. However, if uh, if there is a, a more oblique challenge, and I think that is what's going to happen, I think what's going to happen is there's there's going to be a uh, some interest group that that's going to bring a constitutional challenge, and it's going to make its way through the courts. And the reason why I think that is going to be done is because that is going to give the people who oppose the the Daniel Smith government more time and a more protracted uh, campaign against it, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm fully confident, and I'll go on record right here saying this: if if they did do a reference directly to the Supreme Court of Canada, I think that uh, that the Supreme Court of Canada would decide this in a New York minute, and the people who oppose this yeah, don't yeah. want. They, they want to get some political currency. They want to use this as a cudgel to attack the Smith government. And that's really what we're talking about here. We've so, got an election coming up in a very short runway. The people who oppose to, to, the, to the Smith government, uh, you know, are using this as an opportunity, as a means to attack that government and to discredit it. So, Leighton, there's, there's um, in my mind, correct me since I'm not a lawyer, um, there, for those who oppose... Um, the legislation. Yes, there could be a process in which uh, the issue is referred to the Supreme Court. But if I'm correct, there's another process in which, for example, if there was enough pressure put on Trudeau, he could use, I think it was the, the disallowance law to disallow the, this legislation to be effective or enacted or carried out is that not true well the problem with that is um i i don't if he tried to do that of course the federal government tries to do all kinds of things that in my respect of you are illegal 
mm -hmm. um, that 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 would that would not withstand uh, judicial scrutiny because uh, you know getting back to my earlier point that would be the Trudeau Liberals acting as a as a national government that is in a is is in a situation of hierarchy over the provincial government and that is not how our constitution works. Right. The reality is we have two sovereign levels of government in Canada. That's the way federalism is is structured. So uh, the the answer to your question is, Dennis. Yes, the federal government could try to do something like that. However, I I don't see how it could withstand judicial scrutiny. If they did, that would present a great an, another great case for Alberta independence, in my opinion. Yes, yes, and I'm reasonably sure that the uh, that the premier has been given some very persuasive. Mm -hmm advice about that by someone on this call <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. Look, to my, look to my right yeah. <laughs> it's totally me totally me <laughs> so um, we've discussed the sovereignty act uh, yes i'm hoping that we've discussed it to people to, to the you know uh, well enough that the people watching kind of get an idea of what is real about sovereignty act so dennis do you have anything else or should i maybe uh uh, show some clips of this video so we can start dissecting it comment by comment. Sure. Yeah, go go ahead. Uh, um, I got a couple of things. I yeah, I think uh, the only thing I would say is if if people are, are really interested in what the Sovereignty Act is, I mean, you can go to the Alberta website, uh, the government website, or it's just the comments. Do, do a search. For, oh, okay, great. Yeah, do a search for Alberta Sovereignty Act, and it will take you to the uh, Alberta website, and then you just click on Bill bill one and it'll get you into there too. And then you can actually scroll through it and read the legalese if it needs to be. And you know what? It's as I know this stuff is written in legalese, legal terms, whatever, but it's fairly plain to read. Like it, it is actually. Yeah. And it's not long a yeah. couple times, but yeah. it's not that yeah. difficult. It's not that no. long. And it's not that complicated. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. So yeah, it's but like not for war, some. War and peace. Yeah. It's not very straightforward for people like Gil McGowan and Rachel Notley, or is it? I would put to you fine folks that they know perfectly well that what they're saying is not true, but they think you're stupid. They think you're stupid enough to believe the lies that they're telling you. And that might be a fairly bold statement, but I don't, I've never said that Rachel Notley is not an intelligent woman. I think she's a genius. She convinced an entire province that it would be a better option to put her in as a premier than um, uh, uh, you know, a, a conservative minded premier. Uh, she, she's very, very good at her job. She's very, very smart. And so is Gil McGowan. So I don't think this is a issue of not understanding or not, uh, being aware of what's in this bill. I think it's weaponizing people's feelings with misleading statements for political purposes, pure and simple. So, uh, here it is. Uh, now, this video was taken on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, Sunday. Uh, now, what happened on Sunday is there was a protest that was organized by the Alberta Federation of Labor. Now, the Alberta Federation of Labor, for those of you who don't know, uh, recently sued the Alberta government because they wanted to take masks off children. And they won. Leighton, how did they win that? Well... This is just one of the things that uh, Mr. McGowan is really, really astonishingly, astonishingly wrong about, uh, because he says that uh, that the, the reason why uh, Mr. Justice Dunlop 
uh, ruled in favor of the people who wanted to put the masks back on the kiddies in schools because, uh, you know, they, 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 they didn't like that Dr. Hinshaw uh, ordered that the masks could come off. That isn't true at all. The reality is uh, what Justice Dunlop did quite properly is he ruled that Dr. Hinshaw had exceeded her jurisdiction under the Public Health Act by making uh, these, this, this health order to, to remove the mask. It was, it was a purely a technical legal argument. And I talked about this before on your show, Chris. Essentially, the way this worked is the, the provincial government had, when, when the pandemic, quote unquote, pandemic broke, they had the ability to declare a public emergency. And if they had declared a public emergency, then the emergency would have been managed by the by the premier and cabinet in consultation with the legislature. But but they didn't do that, and they didn't follow the 2014 plan that Dave Redman had designed before he retired. What they did instead is they went to the Public Health Act and they did something unprecedented, and that is they declared a public health emergency, a province-wide public health emergency, and they set up Dr. Hinshaw as a, essentially a dictator. And and uh, and but what came out in the course of the Ingram case and also in the course of the CM case, and that was in Dr. your cross examination. Yes, Dr. Hinshaw uh, said that in fact these, although her name went on these orders, it said I, Dr. Hinshaw, hereby order. She said these weren't her orders; that she was a messenger; that in fact she was going to the the premier and the cabinet for instructions, and she was presenting PowerPoint presentations, and that she was putting into effect in these health orders, in these CMOH orders, uh, the, the instructions from the premier and cabinet. And under the Public Health Act, under Section 29 of the Public Health Act, that's illegal. She can't do that. It defeats the whole purpose of yeah. having a medical expert uh, be, in, be in charge of the pandemic. So, yeah. so uh, that, I mean, essentially, the Kenny government was too clever. They crossed themselves up, and they apparently set up Dr. Hinshaw as a straw person. Um, and and that's what doc, that, that is what Justice uh, uh, Dunlop said in that case. He didn't say that he that he thought that it was a great idea to mask the kiddies in school. Nothing of the sort. Uh, that wasn't the substance of the of the decision at all. So this is just one aspect where Mr. McGowan is really seriously misleading, uh, you know, people in the in the course of this speech. Do you want to hear some more places where he's misleading people? Because I'm happy to show you. Yeah, do it. Let's do so it. So the way this is going to yeah. work, folks, is I'm going to show clips and then uh, we're going to pause the video and there's going to be some comments and then we'll continue on. And feel free to put up comments about this, how you feel about it in, in the comment section. Uh, tag your MLA, tag Gil McGowan, tag the Alberta Federation of Labor, share it to your page, share it to as many groups and pages as you can. I want I want everybody to know um, the truth about what was said on Sunday. Now, just and this little statement about, sorry, go ahead, Kerry. I was just going to say, and this video itself is the raw one. It's the 27-minute version or whatever, and it's actually yes. on the Whistlestop Facebook page. So you can always go back and, and look at it, on, you know, without us doing the dialogue to it. So Yes. So from now on, I'll be re referring to Gil McGowan as Gil the Shill. Gil, Gil is the president <laughs> of the Alberta Federation of Labour, um, which is a collective group of labour-minded individuals who work together because they're stronger together. What Gill has done on behalf of his NDP buddies and his his uh, NDP boss, Rachel Notley, uh, is he's weaponized this group, this collective. And they're using it for political purposes, and it's disgusting. They're, they're using it to, to advertise NDP policy, speak out against their opponents, uh, and they're, they're 
they're using other issues that they're supposed to be fighting for as political fodder and they're and they're weaponizing your concerns so that's why this is particularly disgusting so yeah. here we go gail mcgowan president of the alberta federation of labor hopefully not long so this young fellow talks for about two minutes then gill talks for about 20. okay oh, oh i should have queued it up that's right here he goes good afternoon everyone my name is Gil McGowan, a president you of the Alberta Federation of hey, it's Labor. Gil. I'm going to start with something of a controversial statement this afternoon. Ooh, we like that. Daniel Smith is batshit crazy. You want to stop it right there, Chris? <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure it did. Well, that's a very something. technical legal term. <laughs> well, you know... Um, yeah, I I read that uh, comment, and is that not typical of the way the left uh, portrays any conservative individual? And the comment is really Amen. quite typical uh, yeah. for individuals yeah. like Mr. McGowan, who clearly yeah. favor big government, um, trampling individual freedoms and rights. Uh, and he doesn't mind Alberta being overgoverned, overregulated, and overtaxed. Because it benefits him. As was yeah. the case uh, with the kind of government that he um, embraces as being ideal. Yeah. And because he supports a Marxist, uh, the Marxist agenda of the Trudeau-Singh regime, he's got no qualms about labeling someone as crazy if they don't align with, with his ignorance of both the Constitution and how a democracy should work. And, you know, that the Trudeau apparatchik has aggressively and progressively trampled provincial constitutional authority has totally befuddled mr mcgowan's two functioning cerebral neurons it's clear from his entire diatribe that he loves the idea of a big federal government controlling every aspect of our lives including our quality of life and his love for central authoritarian control suggests a passion for countries like cuba and venezuela where he and his ilk um, should emigrate uh, to. And I'm sure that uh, there are many people that would, would help pay the freight to get him there. Uh, but but in any case, I, I just wanted to comment on that stupid comment that he made about um, Daniel Smith's intelligence. And, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and this, is not, this is not appropriate for somebody who is the uh, purported president of the... Uh, of the labor unions, um, it just it just uh, uh, doesn't do them any good, and it um, it just makes it makes it seem to everybody just how ignorant he really is to make comments like that. Well, should I continue the video for a little bit? I think so. Yeah, it's it's uh, very exciting. I'm gonna try and bring something else up. So. I'm not going to be watching and paying attention as closely as usual, which is not closely at all. Um, just let me know if you need me to stop it. Okay. And uh, remember, turn your speakers up a bit. We're outside and I was kind of far away, so it's a little quiet. Now, there's a lot of us, there's a lot of us in this crowd today who have said that comment or something like it over the past few weeks and especially over the past few days since the 
We want to stop it there for a second. Yeah. Yeah, I want to make a comment. Yeah. Um, so, so according to Mr. McGowan and some of his ilk, he views the premier and the government as both crazy and dangerous, which, as Chris pointed out early on, this is just NDP political rhetoric uh, mm -hmm. by by NDP simpletons who despise conservative ideology, which doesn't align with their Marxist poli policies. There's nothing at all dangerous in standing up for Albertans and exerting provincial constitutional authority as granted in the Constitution. So I think it's it's just ridiculous the perspective that this idiot has. And I think uh, I I like the use of that that name there, Dennis. I think it's appropriate. Some people might say we shouldn't be talking about people like that, but when the shoe fits, you know. And and this is a guy that after this. Uh, speech he walks around and smiling waving his afl flag and then he tells the counter protesters to go f themselves yeah like this you know, guy because uh, he is a piece of work well no, it's, no, not, it's no. classless ignorance is, is how i would describe it yeah. absolutely classless ignorance you know uh you know chris uh idiot and moron and imbecile are actually clinical terms they're on a scale of intelligence quotient I'm not sure where Mr. McGowan lines up, but he's somewhere in that spectrum. Well, it's it's not just uh, redneck, unclassy people that are using these these words. They actually mean something. They do. Wow. Well, there you go, folks. Okay, so should I continue? Keep going. Keep going. Sure. But it's actually a piece of legislation that stands in the way of democracy. Let's stop there for a second. <laughs> stands in the way of democracy. Either one of you guys, Dennis? Yeah, Layton? yeah. I want to. I, I want to comment. He clearly doesn't. Yes. Mr. McGon clearly doesn't understand democracy and and uh, why it fails. Democracy fails when policy permits the tyranny of the majority over the minority. In other words, let me state it differently. When individual rights are protected, societal rights will be protected, but the reverse absolutely never holds. In fact, taken to the extreme, when societal rights are always supreme over individual rights, democracy fails completely and society devolves into really what is full-on Marxism and communism. And Mr. Gohan is right at home with the communist manifesto of, of the NDP. In my opinion, yeah, or, or in their case, the Regina Manifesto. Yeah, uh, you know the uh, you know it's interesting. He says that 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 uh, the the statute is standing in the way of democracy. Look at look at where he's standing. He's standing on the steps of the legislature, yelling into a microphone, railing against our premier. 
if he's not in a democracy, I tell you what, Mr. McGowan, go to go to Beijing, go to Tiananmen Square with your microphone, and say that about Mr. Xi, and see how long you can stand there, how long you can stand in the way of democracy. It's only because he's standing in a democracy that he can stand there with his microphone, and 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 mutter these these dog whistles into that mic. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? So, All right, let's continue. Uh, if anybody is wondering why, why would this person be speaking out so strongly against um, the UCP government and the, and the Alberta sovereignty within the United Canada Act? I'll show you why. It's because of the friends he keeps. Oh, ah. boy. Here we go. So... This is exactly why Gil McGowan speaks out so strongly against the UCP, no matter what they're doing, mm -hmm. and why he is so supportive of the NDP. He actually sits on the on the provincial board for the for the NDP in Alberta. Yeah. So you have a man that's heavily involved in partisan politics as the president of the Alberta Federation of Labor. Isn't that does that not make anybody else's skin crawl? Well, obviously, he can't be objective. I would say probably not. Anyway, that's... Uh, oh, oops. I've, I've got to reshare the tab. Yeah, because the next part here is where Gil actually talks about the... He says four very dangerous things. Yes. It's right? riveting. And so that's, hear that's, that's the important part. Here it comes. Definitely want to talk The first thing that it does is usurp the power of our elected legislature. Kind of like My question when he said that was how, but I didn't interrupt him because I wanted him to say his piece, but that's uh, what I was thinking at the time. The CMOH. People have to understand that we here in Alberta are, we have inherited a democratic parliamentary tradition that says that decisions about important things in our society need to be made by our elected legis legislators in the legislature and in the parliament. But what this bill does is carve out a special set of and her cabinet can change legislation without deference to our elected representatives. That is, by definition, anti-democratic, and we need to stand against it. So late. I, I, I don't even know if people actually know what he this, just said, but he finishes the sentence and people just start clapping. It's his tone. This man, this man has not been living in Alberta. Okay, we have been governed undemocratically for most of the last three years by by Dr. Hinshaw and by by a cabal of, of ex unelected experts who told us masks on, masks yeah. off, social distance, pandemic on, pa pandemic Hold free forever. Business. You know, yeah. take your take your shots. You know. Uh, you know, get, yeah. I mean, what is he talking? Where has he been? What? Pro where was he when Dr. Hinshaw was 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 uh, was putting Chris Scott and 
Arthur Pavlovsky and James Coates and Timothy Stevens yeah. in jail. Yeah. Where, where, where was that? Where, where was he when, uh, when the retired uh, uh, associate chief judge of the Court of Queen's Bench, then Court of Queen's Bench, Mr. Justice Rook, imposed an unprecedented injunction which made it illegal for any person in Alberta, any man, woman, or child, to John publicly Doe protest, to publicly protest uh, anything that the government was doing to fight the pandemic. Seems I mean, very democratic. Seriously, seriously, folks. I mean, uh, where, where, where was he when all that was? And remember, this is the guy, folks, who wants to mask the kiddies in school. Let me tell you something, uh, because I, I'm not a medical doctor, Dennis, Dr. Modry is, but I've, I've read these reports. I've read a lot of the science. There is no authoritative scientific study that says that masking uh, it helps with, with COVID-19. And there's, there's now a, a stunning volume of evidence that says that these are very harmful, especially to children. They even interfere with brain function. Yeah. with something called hypoxia that Dr. Modry can explain. Yeah. It, yeah. And it, the, these masks, anybody who wants to mask a child, uh, it, it, to me, is a, is a deranged lunatic. I met a mother at this rally who has two children that have uh, disabilities as a result of oxygen deficiency from mask wearing. And their doctors have even recorded this as in their records. Wow. So this isn't, this isn't just some you know, someone stomped their feet saying we don't want to wear a mask. This is actually, it's, it's hard. It harmed kids. And the worst part about it is it wasn't to the benefit of the children at the very, very best. You could, you could maybe say that masking the children would protect the adults who were actually at risk. But even if that was the case, what kind of a society sacrifices their children to protect the adults? It's disgusting. And this guy, Gil McGowan, he took the government to court to put masks back on the kids. Well, he, he did, you know, and, you know, there's so much evidence now um, that, you know, Leighton cited one of the issues of uh, cerebral hypoxia. But um, look at the, um, the educational scores, the performance scores of, of uh, kids around the world that have been masked for uh, a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all they've fallen back in terms of the intellectual development. Um, Emotion, expression, you know, if you're like this, yeah. you're not going to be able to do anything. Well, the other the other thing is, is what I th uh, found really sad is that um, Mr. McGowan took, um, you know, I don't know if it was, was it, was it he who, who took this on behalf, because it was five children uh, that were, the parents were concerned about um, there being no mask policy. And my understanding is, is that, that those were five children who had some sort of immunodeficiency problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the result uh, that Mr. McGowan was hoping for was that rather than five children um, be unmasked, that hundreds of thousands of children be masked and be compromised. The five children who are immunodeficient, uh, they're the ones that uh, if they were, if the parents and their physician, the child's physician, 
felt it was appropriate for them to be isolated in some fashion. Uh, they're the one that should have been wearing the mask or they're the ones that should be educated from home, isolated mm -hmm. from other kids. Yeah. But to, to, to harm uh, hundreds of thousands of other children by forcing masks on them, uh, that was the most ridiculous thing I, I can uh, imagine. Well, I mean, there's so many ridiculous things that have happened. That's just one of them. But, you know, appropriately, that didn't happen. I'm going to put a comment up, Dennis. Do you want to quickly uh, uh, just speak to it? Sure. Hmm. I don't see it yet. He oh, says, oh, my God, masks harm people. Remember when we wear masks, no flu. Oh I can God. tell you that, that that story about, about the flu uh, is, is categorically false, that that is incorrect. Uh, this was completely debunked during the Ingram, Ingram trial. And I would ask uh, this gentleman to go and review the transcript. But he has put it up here is completely false. That, that, is, yeah. like, that is classic misinformation. When, when Dr. Dina Hinshaw told everybody that we had that the flu was was suddenly and anomalously cured. Uh, what yeah. happened was they subsumed all the COVID data, all the flu data within within the COVID data, and that's the short story. And it's very obvious if you look at the 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 year to year data. What if one year all of the sudden the flu disappears, but it never ever disappeared before that? What does that tell you? It tells you that there's something wrong with the data. Sorry to interrupt you, Dennis. Yeah. No, well, it, no, it's it, the, the reality is, is that when you actually look at evidence, you have to look at the methodology. If the methodology yeah. is invalid, then the results are not valid either. But every study that's okay. looked at uh, whether masks are effective, unless it's an N95 mask and you're pretty much in a hazmat suit, uh, you're you're not going to be able to prevent um, viral transmission. It's just ridiculous uh, to even think so. Um, and the only caveat there would be, as the Great Barrington Declaration uh, cited, uh, if you want to protect uh, anybody in society, just protect the vulnerable. You don't need to you don't need to protect everybody yep. else. Robust immune systems, they'll protect themselves. So the the masks were completely bloody useless. Uh, and they caused more harm than good, far more harm than good. And that, for I know there's someone out there saying, well, that's not compassionate, Dennis. That is absolutely compassionate. It is compassionate from a standpoint of common sense, period. There's nothing compassionate about harming people by forcing them to wear masks. That exactly. is not compassionate at all. All right, well, I'll uh, continue because he's got more. He's got more comedy oh, yes. gold coming up right here on the Chris <laughs> Carey Show. <laughs> the second dangerous, the second dangerous thing that this piece of legislation does is usurp the power of our courts. So the legislation gives the power to interpret legislation, not to the courts where it's supposed to be interpreted, but to the politicians in the legislature. We don't get to decide in our legislatures or in our parliament what some, something is constitutional or not. That decision is made for, made in our courts, and to simply try to usurp that power is to thumb your nose at our best democratic traditions and also the need for accountability in government. The courts are there for a reason. 
We cannot ignore them without threatening our democracy. There he is. He finished the sentence, so everyone's clapping again. Uh, can I uh, can I comment on this one? Please. Please. Okay. First of all, uh, he's talking about uh, our courts in the context of democratic decision making. Our, our courts are fundamentally undemocratic because our judges are not elected. Okay, they are selected by 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 committees, hopefully of uh, responsible people. Those are people who anyone who's googled me knows that I got kicked off one of these selection committees before I could yeah. get started because yeah. of my controversial views. But the point is, there, there's nothing less democratic than having judges uh, determine what our what our what our laws should be. Uh, so that's not democratic at all. Secondly, in terms of respect for our courts, uh, let, let's take a look at what's going on in Ottawa with our federal government. Did Justin Trudeau go to the courts? To, to, did he, go, did he no. go get get a court order to break up the Freedom Convoy? Did he take that before a judge and show cause? No. He created a, a, a law, uh, a, 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 a law that, that completely usurps the Canadian Constitution, that violates the Canadian Charter, that completely usurps the role of the courts. It did, didn't even give the legislature, the, the parliament, the opportunity to debate it. Okay. That's, that is what this man is actually talking about. The Emergencies Act. That's what he's talking about here. This this act does not usurp the power of the courts. There's nothing in the there's nothing even in the bill about that. Uh, th this is this is complete falsehood. But even if that were true, it's not the role of the courts to create law. Uh, it, it is the role of the courts to to interpret law. And there's nothing in this bill which does anything to interfere with that whatsoever. If somebody wanted to challenge this bill, uh, they could take it. They could take a constitutional challenge before the courts. Just as we challenge the 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 Public Health Act and we challenge the CMOH orders in Ingram. Well, let's continue. The third dangerous thing that this piece of legislation does is purport to give our government the power to force organizations and other levels of government and administration in this country to actually violate legislation duly passed by duly elected federal authorities. It's basically saying that our federal government and our federal elections don't matter, don't mean anything. So we're going to have a government that's going to approve for themselves the power to tell our school boards, issues nothing to do with the federal government then it's also not in the bill Wait, you could stop that chris <laughs> yeah it's not it's not in the bill this reminds me of uh, those of you who follow american politics you know that don't don't say gay bill in florida it, it's not in the bill what nothing that he said is in this bill it's complete nonsense you know another wow. another thing i want to point out is that our governments actually forced us to ignore legislation 
in the last two years. They it, they forced us to choose between operating a business or ignoring that people had human rights. Mm-hmm. And Gil never yeah. said a damn word about it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. You know, something that he said um, uh, just a little bit earlier um, in this last section uh, is that he, he's claiming that we... Um, that we're basically saying or that the act is saying that our federal government and our federal elections don't matter. He said something along those lines. They, they don't yeah, mean yeah. Well, in, in a way, you know, as far as Alberta is concerned, federal elections um, um, haven't really benefited um, Alberta at all because they're always decided by Ontario and Quebec. And so yeah. the, the outcome of every federal uh, election is decided at the Manitoba-Ontario border, and every federal government handers to Quebec and Ontario at Alberta's expense. So, mm-hmm. so you know, it's I digress here a little bit. We we don't have representation by population, but you know something, it wouldn't matter anyhow because the vote would always favor Quebec and Ontario. Um, in a way in which the country was originally designed. We were, it was originally designed, as you guys have heard me say before, um, in a way in which uh, Alberta would always be, uh, and Saskatchewan, subservient to the East, and that, that our wealth would be transferred to, um, to Quebec and Ontario or to the Laurentian elites. That's the way it was designed. That's the way it was stated by Clifford Sifton, who was the Minister of the Interior, who brought um, Alberta and Saskatchewan into, uh, into Canadian Confederation. Um, and so we started off as a colony and we continued, we continued to be pillaged and plundered. Um, but the point is that I'm getting at really is that in a way he's right, because as far as Albertans are concerned, the federal federal elections haven't haven't benefited us. Um, they it, they matter to us because they you know we we keep electing uh, federal governments that keep encroaching on our provincial constitutional authority, and and the beauty of is you know what Leighton was saying earlier with uh, with a leader right now with a spine. Uh, is willing for the first time in 117 years to stand up against this nonsense, um, this pillaging of our of our freedoms and our rights and our wealth and our self determination. This is maddening. This guy is he. You know, there's not a lot of things that anger me, but this level of stupidity does. But this guy. Well, Dennis, I all I can say about that is, but wait, there's more. Yeah, I'm sure. And yeah, sorry about the background noise, folks. Um, we don't use studios. We're totally just a bunch of guys just doing a, a show. And, so every now and then, and you I'm here. People, yeah, have I'm in there. a, I'm in a hotel lobby here too. So there's uh, there's people just out here. So but uh, maybe maybe they'll uh, go get me a beer or something. So you're in Anyways. a hotel potty, Carrie. Okay, weird. No, okay, back to the video. Uh, okay, back. Dangerous is that it restricts the ability of groups, individuals, and organizations to take the government to court on their legislation. Now, this this one hits home for me as president of the Alberta Federation of Labor just six months ago. The 
Alberta Federation of Labor, on behalf of all our unions, we partnered with the families of five disabled kids to challenge this government's decision to unilaterally and against the science get rid of mask mandates in schools. And we won that case. Against the science. Jill hasn't mentioned that they won that case because they declared that the CMOH's orders were illegal. Yeah. yeah. So they introduced a change in this bill that will make it much more difficult for groups like ours and parents like those we work with to challenge legislation in the courts. So not only are they usurping the power of the legislature, not only are they usurping the power of the courts. Not only are they telling groups and organizations in our province to violate legislation, they are restricting our ability to have access to the courts. This is fundamentally undemocratic. In a democracy, in a democracy, we need to respect our elections. We need to respect our legislatures and our parliament. We need to respect our courts, and in a democracy, we need to respect our citizens. This bill stamps, tramples over all of those rights. It is fundamentally undemocratic, and it is the beginning of authoritarianism. The beginning. We, and we need to respect our CMOH orders. This is not about standing up for Albertans. This is about standing in the way of democracy, and is it all? It is also about Daniel Smith and the UCP's narrow political interests. Yes. There is an election coming in six months. We all know how we'd like that election to turn out. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. This piece of legislation is not about the Alberta public interest. This piece of legislation is a tactic, is a tactic being used by Daniel Smith Danielle and the UCP because she wants the next election to be fought, to be fought as a war against Justin Trudeau as opposed to a campaign run on issues that actually matter to Alberta. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're, they're one and the same. Like the cost of living. <laughs> Like what's happening in our hospitals. She doesn't want us to talk yeah. about that. She wants a war with Justin Trudeau. And yet this is the thing. She is willing to light our democracy on fire so she has a tactic which she thinks might help her win an election. Should we allow our premier to use her narrow political purposes and her tactics to undermine our democracy? Should we let that happen? So I just want to point out when he said that I was I actually got confused and I thought that it was a few years ago when he was speaking about Rachel Notley. <laughs> Talk about narrow political interests. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And people actually believe you know, this. Stuff. That's the worst part. You know, it's Can interesting. I, uh, his reference to Justin Trudeau, um, he deliberately left out uh, Justin Trudeau's compatriot. Um, uh, I'm sure uh, Jagmeet, yeah. Jagmeet Singh, um, um, you know, the the pinnacle of NDP uh, Marxism, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and um, 
so it's it's funny he didn't he didn't he, he what he should have said was Justin Trudeau uh, and and uh, Jagmeet Singh, um, but he deliberately left out Jagmeet Singh because he's an NDP guy. So uh, uh, anyhow, I mean there are so many ridiculous things to that this guy just said in this. I, I mean, he he really doesn't understand democracy. Uh, that's that's for sure, and um, and uh, you know, Leighton is is correct uh, by pointing out all of the things that the federal government has done, which does trample uh, democracy, um, and uh, tramples our constitution as well. Him and Rachel Notley and Jagmeet Singh, Jagmeet particularly. Uh, these union bosses, Gil McGowan, you know what they remind me of? When I when I think about them, I see like a, a multi-millionaire or a king throwing some crumbs for the peasants so the peasants support them. And, and they just believe that they're doing them so much favors by throwing them some grain. You know, like Jagmeet mm-hmm. saying, the guy is filthy stinking rich, filthy rich. And he's up there talking about how you know, we have to do something and, you know, these these rich corporations have to pay their fair share to support people on low income. Well, what what about them? They're they're literally now this is from a book. So please don't get offended by me saying this, folks. They are literally the pigs sitting yeah. at the table and they don't look any different than the humans. Animal from. Yeah. <laughs> And people buy it. They eat it up. Yeah. Can I just say? Can I just say something here? So this just just goes to show, it, it really is astonishing that someone like Mr. McGowan could actually rise to the level of being the head of a of a major union, being as profoundly ig- ignorant of Alberta law as he is. He says here that uh, that that we're going to have a government that's going to approve for themselves the power to tell our school boards our city councils, our police, our universities, and our colleges what to do. Well, guess what, Gil? That's the law. Every one of those are Section 92 powers. Wake up, you know, grab a coffee, buddy. That that's Those are the powers the provincial court has. This is how perverted and inverted his understanding of our law is. He actually thinks that, that, the, that, that our government is ignoring federal dictates on those subjects that are exclusive jurisdiction. And if you want to talk about a- an organization that operates undemocratically, I would challenge anybody listening to this to discover or to point out any organization that is less democratic than a trade union. That That is, they are communistic down to the blood core. And that's what this guy is. He's a card-carrying communist i got an email or uh, pardon me a message from a lady the other day who got an email from her union telling her that if she didn't vote ndp she wouldn't get a raise and this went out to a bunch of union members wow but how how would they know yeah you're right well i think what they're implying to the to the individual level no they probably wouldn't yeah, what they're implying is that if the union members don't support the NDP, that their industry is going to be so adversely affected that they're not going to get a raise. But that's only one step removed from going up to somebody and saying, hey, 
you need to vote for Rachel Notley or you're not going to have a job, right? That's what they're doing. They're just doing it in a, in a different way that's somehow legal. Anyway, I'll continue. There is more, yep. and it is he better at up. the end. Yeah. And I'm just going to follow. I'm just going to wrap up by saying this. There are bigger issues here than just this piece of legislation. This piece of legislation is awful for all the reasons that I've just discussed, but it is a manifestation of an even bigger concern. We have seen around the world the rise of authoritarian politics in Western democracies. We've seen what's happened south of the border with Trump and the Make oh, up America the, Great yeah, Movement. Yeah, the We've Trump seen war. the rise of authoritarianism with Brexit in the United Kingdom. We've seen strong democracies actually crumble and fall in places like Hungary and Canada. And brothers and sisters, what I'm telling you today is not is Bill 1, the Sovereignty Act, is an example of that kind of authoritarian threat to democracies. It is no longer something that's happening across the border. It is no longer something that's happening across the ocean. This is the authoritarian tide washing up on our Canadian shores and coming right here to our province. And as Albertans who believe in democracy and the foundation that it provides, for all the things that we care for and value, we need to fight not only this bill, we need to fight not only this government, we need to fight the forces of authoritarianism that threaten the foundations of our country. Sounds fine. We Seems to me we are fighting the authoritarian. Yo, Chris Scott, What's the Stop Cafe? Oh, hey. Good speech. Yeah, you'll, I'll be uh, responding to it on the What's the Stop page if you want to. Yeah. Check it out. He stopped huh? talking to me. After that. Check it out. Yeah, that was uh, actually kind of painful. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't even know why they, they even know why they're here. I just not me sent them. Well, I was going to say stop it, it there then. Yeah. Isn't it interesting, guys, that that uh, um, what people like Gill uh, uh, do uh, is they accuse conservatives of doing the exact thing that they are doing. Kettle black. Yeah. They're they're doing the exact thing that they're accusing the conservatives of, of doing, and it's in spades demonstrated by what Trudeau has done. Trudeau, the Trudeau Singh government has done. Um, so, yeah, call the kettle black. That, that's exactly right. He make he. Uh, the other thing is, is he made reference to the rise of authoritarianism as a, as a result of the Brexit movement. Well, the Brexit movement was a bid, a successful bid for freedom um, from central authoritarianism, um, uh, as defined by the uh, EU. They wanted out from that, and they got out from that. Thank God. Um, and um, uh, but here's an example that that, that that Mr. McGowan is using as an example of authoritarianism. That's an example of getting out from under um, world government, if you will, or at least European government. 
Yeah, it's you know, you notice he uses the the language of communism as well, brothers and sisters, right? That's typical trade union communistic language, brothers. You know, workers of the world unite. You have nothing to lose but your chains. You have a world to win. This is yeah. Marxism, yeah. and uh, and of course he talks about uh, he talks about Donald Trump and authoritarianism as though these are interchangeable, uh, but. I, I can tell you, if you listen to um, what's go any any of the uh, what's going on in the United States, many conservative politicians and uh, media commentators are horrified by what's going on in Canada. We had uh, a German politician, Christine Anderson, who was on my podcast, and she spoke out, and people might remember this, and chastised our our Prime Minister in the European Parliament, tried yeah. to kick him out. Uh, we have in Canada, and, and, and of course, be, because we live in a, in a leftist media bubble here where most of our news is censored, we have no, many people in this country don't, do not have a sense of how authoritarian our government is, okay? Uh, we, have a, we have a government that is actually passing legislation that is making it possible for teenagers, healthy teenagers, to choose to die. We, we, have a, we have a horribly authoritarian government already. In fact, the Sovereignty Act is a reaction to authoritarianism. Yeah. Uh, so so he, uh... has this, he has this all backwards. And one more thing. He keeps talking about the word democracy. Democracy is an interesting word. It comes from two words. Demos means people. Kratia means rule. Okay. But it's not synonymous with freedom. It's not synonymous with prosperity. We talk a lot about this in the APP. Uh, and and when they say democracy, they don't they don't mean freedom. They don't mean prosperity. Okay, they what they're talking about is they're talking about power. That's the language of power. They use democracy as a buzzword for leftist power and control. That is authoritarian rule of the majority. That's the way they understand democracy. They're not talking about liberal democracy, not the kind of democracy that we learned about in school which is ruled by the majority with respect for minority rights. Uh, so that's that's the buzzword, the democracy, the word, the way he's using it is a buzzword for the left. You'll hear, you'll, you'll hear leftists use that word constantly, saying mm -hmm. that any conservative policy is a threat to democracy. But they're not talking about, you know, democracy in terms of, you know, constitutional structures like we're talking about here. And it's so ironic and disgusting that he's, he's talking about Fighting against authoritarianism, which is great. We should fight against that, right? But if he wanted to do that, he should be fighting against the NDP because their end goal, their manifesto literally says that the government yeah. controls anything, everything. No personal property, no uh, personal business, no personal farms, nothing. All run by the government for the greater good. And I, you know, people keep saying, oh, that can't be true, can't be true. It is 100% true. It's right in the, the NDP's manifesto it's there in black and white they took it off their website when george I was, clark i was um, just gonna say that go look for it but, but it can't find it there and it exists and that's the direction they're going so if you want to fight against that stuff you should be fighting against the ndp but let me show you here what happens when you disagree with people like gil Hey, excuse me. I went to Western Standard, isn't it? Hey, isn't this supposed to be a peaceful protest? Isn't this supposed to be a peaceful protest? Fuck off. 
If you're going to tell a news source in Alberta, you're, you're not a news source, you're a propaganda source. Sir, I disagree with your comments, sir. I hope you keep your liberal job. This is supposed to be a peaceful protest. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Flag in the wind. Yeah, don't touch me. You're a right-wing authoritarian propaganda news source. It's supposed to be a It's supposed to be a peaceful protest. And that was his son that said uh yeah, wear a mask, bitch. Yeah, and that whole yeah. thing just irks me. Yeah. In incidentally, I, I just want to point this out. Um, in the Manitoba case, uh, that that was a constitutional challenge. One of the orders, the health orders, that was challenged was uh, was uh, the enforcement of outdoor masking, and the chief medical officer for Manitoba was cross-examined, and we came back to this. Actually, asked the same question of Dr. Hinshaw. And the reality is there is no study, no authoritative study anywhere uh, which supports the idea that wearing a mask outside ha has any impact upon preventing infection from COVID. In other words, you don't need to worry about COVID outside. Now, in his defense, it was a cold day. Yes. <laughs> so sometimes it's, 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 like having, it's like wearing a scarf, right? So maybe that's... He needs one of those. He, he needs a Kanye mask then. He needs one of those uh, ski masks. <laughs> You know what set that off? Well, not not all of it, but what set that kid off? Somebody said to him, um, very politely, I, I caught it, but I didn't record it. She said, I bet you're really handsome under your mask. And they lost their minds. Wow. And this is like an older kind of mom or grandma-ish type lady, you know, said that. She was and probably I, being quite sincere about it, too. She probably, she probably wanted. She probably wanted to see what it looked like, but he wasn't going to do it. You know. Anyways, you know, this is, it's not all about not masking. It's it's these, about no, those. It's, yeah. These these guys. You know. I, here's some questions I have. You know, uh, which one of these guys stood up to lockdowns? Which one of them stood up for workers? Let me tell you something. Right. I represent thousands and thousands of workers put out of work by vaccine mandates. And, and and union leaders like this guy, you know what they tell them? Well, well, we're not, we're not even going to take your grievance up, right? Who's enforcing the vaccine mandates? Who's who's masking kids? Who's who's standing up for families, right? So he talks about democracy. What what does he mean? What what does democracy mean? You know, His if it doesn't mean workers, if it doesn't mean families, it doesn't mean your neighbors, right? these guys are just His, honestly, their view evil. of democracy is so skewed yeah. Layton. it's so it's, far removed from what a real functioning uh, appropriate democracy looks like yeah it's incredible it yeah. really is and uh you know i just hope the, the people listening to this uh will ignore it and understand that uh you know I, I, we were saying before we came on camera winston churchill famously said one of the best ways to know if you're on the right side of the in, of an issue is to look at who's attacking you and who's attacking daniel smith right now mr singh okay i mean is there anybody with a with a lower uh level of integrity than mr singh right now in canadian politics uh i mean i realize that's a that's a very stiff competition uh but 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 he's got a partner he's got a partner that's right there with him uh, oh exactly dumb yeah. and dumber yeah. you know evil and evil and mortal it's you like know. me, myself, and Irene, Jagmeet, Justin, and Rachel. <laughs>
Well, yeah, but look who's attacking Danielle, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. a, a reputable Supreme Court of Canada justice, uh, legendary legal man comes out and says, no, uh, that this is good legislation, right? So look at who's supporting her and look and look at who's criticizing her. And that tells you who's on the right side of history here. Well, that's that's why, you know, like we discussed throughout this uh, evening, uh, Mr. McGill or Mr. McGowan's comments were really just political rhetoric yep. in support of the NDP. That's that's really all it was because yep. he had he had no valid argument against the Sovereignty Act, not one. No. To use his word, a propaganda. I, I totally agree with you, Dennis. That's his, you know, that's what he's spewing. Well, that's propaganda. his job, Lee. Yeah. He was, he was put in as the president of the AFL, specifically so he could rally those folks as a political weapon against mm -hmm. the NDP's opponents. That's how the NDP yeah. wins power everywhere they go. Well, they they use the they use the Dr. Goebbels, Dr. Goebbels, who was the mastermind of Nazi propaganda, famously wrote, and he was brilliant, by the way, he's multiple PhD. This guy, he was probably the smartest Nazi, and he said, if you if you if you repeat a lie, often enough and loudly enough, people will begin to accept it as truth, and that yeah. that is the that is the mantra of these people. That is the mantra of the left, and Dennis is quite right. Their, their, their greatest technique, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the scream of their last living brain cell is an ad hominem personal attack. They don't talk about issues. They don't talk yeah. about law. They don't talk about, they don't debate issues, right? They scream into a microphone and, and it's rubbish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically the whole concept of trying to cancel other people as well. Cancel, not, not just cancel them but cancel them in a malicious way, referring to them as misogynists, racists, homophobes, you, you name it, pick a term, you know. Yeah. How about latent anti-Semite? I got that one. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I, I need a PhD to explain to me uh, what that even means. Yeah. <laughs> how, do you be, how could that be a latent Trait. I critic. I had the temerity to criticize uh, George Soros. I suggested that in 2020 he was going to use his many billions to to improperly influence American elections. Boy, was I wrong! Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but I got everybody who criticizes George Soros gets that tag. You get anti-Semite. <laughs> That's what happens to you. But yeah. the fun, the ironic part there is, did did even did the fact that he was of any particular race or origin even cross your mind? Probably not. But it sure crossed the mind of those who disagree with you. That's the first thing they go to because they're bigots. Yeah, it's labels. Yeah, yeah. And, and it didn't even. Yeah, it didn't even matter the that. They're the one. That, they are the ones that are bigots and racists. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Again, weaponizing something that should be a virtuous um, uh, 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 crusade, like stamping out racism—that's mm -hmm. a virtuous thing. But no, it's not for them. They just use it as a weapon against their opponents and don't give a shit about the, mm. pardon my French, don't give a crap about the uh, the real issue. Dennis, that, what did that, you think uh, about that outburst at the end? You looked really amused. <laughs> which which outburst? With Gil and his, uh, his Trudeau salute he gave to the people of Alberta. He kept saying fudge you, fudge, fudge you, I think. Oh, well... What did I think about it? Well, I don't think very much about Mr. McGowan. I don't think very much about him at all, having heard this 
diatribe by by him at the uh, ledge. Um, but again, you know, where is civil discourse these days? Where it's gone, it's gone by, it's gone the way of the dodo bird. We don't yeah. have civil discourse. Wouldn't it be brilliant to have a public debate, civil debate, uh, for example, with Rachel Notley or Jagmeet Singh or Trudeau, a civil debate where actually questions are answered. So one of the things, have you guys ever seen the monk debates? Oh, yes. No. The monk debates yeah. are brilliant. They're, they, they're handled extremely well. There is a question that is posed, and then there are opposing views that are debated on the stage. And um, prior to the debate, but everybody in the audience answers the question to the way they think, the, the way they feel about the issue. After the debate, the question is again pulled to the audience, and it's remarkable to see how people's minds change when they are appropriately educated, how as a result of civil discourse. But the social left, the Marxists, the communists don't want civil discourse because they don't want people's minds to change based on hearing new evidence. They want those people who have been brainwashed by the by the Marxists, they don't want them to hear an alternative narrative. And this is the, this is the beauty of free speech, the, the beauty of having civil discourse. And it's exemplified it best in my judgment, as I've seen it of the last few years, by the monk debates. Well, I think you're fantastic. You're out of trouble. Well, maybe uh, we, yeah, we they are inviting good. Mr. McGowan to be on the show to debate this stuff live. Yes, I think that would that would be amazing to do that. Good luck, you know, uh, Chris. Uh, I'm pretty I sure did. he's not going to come on. <laughs> I know on my on my on my little podcast that has been proud to have both yourself and Dr. Moji on there. I haven't gotten Carrie yet, although I'd love to have him on the show. Um, I get I get criticized uh, because I don't have enough uh, contrary opinions left us on the show let me tell you something it's not, for, it's not for lack of trying um in fact i'll tell you i won't say her name but there was a a, a woman uh he, she was a, a leftist professor from an american university she agreed to come on the show and i and i i was so shocked that i i actually reached out to her and i said you know i think we could have a really interesting discussion because you know i'm basically on the opposite side of the ocean of everything that you think and she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, you know, I'm a, I'm a staunch conservative. And I think we could we could really do something interesting on the program because we could have a very civil debate uh, in which we 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 express contrary views. And, uh, you know, it, it could be really, really fascinating and, and edifying for people to see two people, relatively smart people, uh, you know, talk about different diametrically opposed views but doing it and doing it in a way that it, as Dennis says is respectful and civil okay and and is aimed at discovering the truth of an issue right you know strongest steel is forged in hottest fire and she said no I I, I won't I won't do that you know yeah I, I won't I won't subject myself to the risk of uh personal attack it is if I go on your show and this is really key She's, if I go on your show and people find out about it, you know, I could lose all my funding. Yeah, wow. so there, there, there you go. Um, 
there are all kinds of pressures on these kinds of uh, uh, people, and it's 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 one of the reasons why I think you take industry that's been under attack um, have been loath to um, you know publicly slam um, you know the governments that are attacking them for fear that they're going to get attacked even worse. Uh, so so they just kind of cower and and don't stand up and respond and you know that that's what that's what causes nations to fail and you know uh, if i was going to make a plug here uh for freedom and prosperity uh, we need to come together um, and stand together to protect our freedoms and rights and prosperity and we can do it if we if we come together for common cause and in so doing, we can help encourage uh, people who have more socialist, socialistic, Marxist, and communistic thinking to relocate to regions that they're more comfortable in. And I don't say that maliciously. I say that um, because I believe in, in uh, freedom of movement, freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of association. And if you want those things, um, then move to the to the areas that best align with your values. Some Rather of them than, are even warmer. Yeah, yeah. Some of them are <laughs> even warmer, uh, for sure. Absolutely. You know. So. You know, talking about racism. You know, racism. I did a bit of a, a you know study on this. It's an interesting word. It's sort of come full circle because um, I researched this, and it was actually coined by a man named Trotsky, who was part of the three men who were spearheaded the you know the russian revolution the bolshevik bolshevik revolution and uh, you know stalin was the was the muscle of of that lenin was the spiritual leader the charismatic speaker but this guy named trotsky he was the intellectual he was the guy who came up with all this stuff he coined this term racism and it just means uh a, a, a label that you give to anyone who disagrees with you and that that was the original meaning of racism Racism came to mean something specific and meaningful in the 1950s and 60s through people like Dr. Martin Luther King, right? It came to mean uh, a way of, 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 of distinguishing, um, you know, a prejudice, a, 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 you know, an unsubstantiated discrimination against the other. And it had a meaning in, in that era. And now it's, it's come full circle. It's gone right back to the original meaning. And this is the way the leftists use it. It's just a label that they slap on anyone who disagrees with them. And mm -hmm. uh, and it's awful because, you know, it's a word that gets thrown around so much, but it, it's completely devoid of meaning. It's it's empty. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's really a shame. Actually, I actually hear one of those folks that just slings mud and does personal attacks and won't debate anything. I, I hear them. I think I'm going to I'm going to bring them on the show. You guys continue. I'll be right back. OK. <laughs> Well, you know, um, yeah, and, and the term racism becomes synonymous um, with uh, Nazism, for example. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're a Nazi. Yeah. Um, you know, you're a racist, etc. So. Yeah. Um, but it's just labels. Yeah. Yeah. It's and and it's counterproductive, and it prevents dialogue. You mm -hmm. know, because you you've just labeled somebody that you don't even know. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that was the great thing, actually, about um, not to put on a plug for it. But I mean, for example, when when the APP sponsored the uh, the leadership debates 
and we had different people on there with Danielle Smith and uh, Brian Jean and the others who are vying for the leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, it was great to hear uh, people actually taught debating ideas, right? Yeah. There yeah. wasn't a lot, I, I didn't see a lot of personal attacks going on there. They, they, there was actually, we were actually talking about ideas and debating ideas. And I have to say that was really, really refreshing. Uh, I haven't seen enough of that in those political yeah. debates. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we handled that reasonably well. Um, and uh, that's the way it should be. You should be debating ideas, not, not the color of somebody's skin or you know any other immutable characteristic yeah like who like who cares that's that's the least important part of who you are is, is your yeah. skin color right yeah so i was wrong it wasn't uh it wasn't somebody to debate it was uh, <laughs> my, my pal chicken so he, well, chicken. He, at least he wasn't there. chicken to come on or she wasn't chicken to come on well chris i i think you you found a, a creature that has the in, the intellectual capacity to match mr mcgowan <laughs> oh no i i think um the i think what we're seeing is probably more intelligent yes i think so <laughs> at least more I feel useful like at any minute she could just like Pluck out my eye with that beak. <laughs> anyway, entertaining to say the least. Yeah. Yes. All right, guys. I think I got to run. Yeah, okay. okay. That's fair. Thank I you so much for uh, for your insight and uh, for uh, having an intelligent conversation based upon something that I don't think was intelligent to begin with here. But uh, but Terry, things I fun. do. It was fun and maddening at the same time. Always, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it always is. It seems to be what happens here. But, uh, but one thing, and I'm not sure if we want to finish off with this uh, or, or not, but I would like to know what is the, the steps now to, to finish off with the bill, the Sovereignty Act, and how it gets passed into law. And then again, when would Alberta need to actually do something and implement some sort of a... Uh, the, the act like uh like what what jurisdiction would have to be crossed in order for them to say okay you know what we're going to play this particular card does that make any sense well i can tell you uh you know the, this bill is being passed uh despite what mr mcgowan says democratically okay it's being put before the legislature it's going to be debated it's going to go through uh different readings multiple readings and it's going to be voted upon and if it's passed into law, and it almost certainly will be because the VP has a majority in the legislature, uh, there's still going to be public debate and the NDP are going to be able to have their say about it. Uh, once it's passed into law, of course, uh, then uh, really what it's what it's going to do, and I, I, I keep saying this, I want to stress this, <laughs> there's nothing new under the sun with this bill. It, it is simply a restatement, okay? Uh, let's say a, a simplification of what's in section 92 of the uh of, of the constitution act and really what it is is it is uh well it's something that the liberals understand it's virtue signaling it's saying to ottawa look here this is what we stand for this is what we're going to do if you come and you step in our yard we're going to say this is our yard and and get out and that's really all it means so the way it's going to play out is for example if the federal government tries to impose, you know, uh, things in terms of healthcare, as Dr. Modri said, or if they want to tell us, uh, tell Alberta what to do with education, 
or if they want to tell us what to do with policing or how to run our universities, any of those things, um, then then the Alberta government is going to say, no, that's not happening. You're, you're, you cannot legislate in those areas. And if you do legislate in those areas, we're not going to enforce uh, those laws. And the, the important part about that is, is, you know, the federal government really does not have the resources or the wherewithal or the boots on the ground to enforce all this stuff, right? They've been doing it by bully pressure. Uh, and and really what this statute is saying is, look, um, we're not going to help you do this anymore. Um, and, and and we're not going to stand for it. And that that's really what it is. But, uh, you know, the people who think that this is a uh, new law, it really isn't. And Mr. Pauly, I've really had it correctly. He was asked about this. What do you think of the, of the sovereignty? He says, well, it's really nothing new. It's simply they're just saying. And, and he said he has no problem with it because... Uh, all they're doing is they're, is they're just asserting Section 92 powers, and Mr. Polyev is is wise enough to understand that uh, that's completely constitutional. So you know, hopefully that. Leighton, you reminded me of something here, and that is that Alberta is, may not be alone on this because Saskatchewan, with oh, their true. Saskatchewan yeah. First Act, um, may have similar views to uh, the Alberta Sovereignty Act as well. I haven't looked at the Saskatchewan First Act yet, but my sense of it is that once again, it's at least the rhetoric coming from Scott Moe is that we too are not going to enforce federal law that that abridges um, provincial constitutional authority. But I'd be interested in your comment um, as to the way in which the federal government can react um, by withholding transfer payments and forcing compliance that way. And what do you think the uh, provincial government might do under those circumstances? I know what we want them to do. But, uh, <laughs> well, I, well, I think they have a. I, I think that they have a plan for that. And and uh, you know this, Dennis, because you you talk about this a lot when, at the APP meetings. Um, you know, the federal government has the money that we send to them, right? The, you know, domestic governments have very limited forms of 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 income. Uh, you know, they can get some money from tariffs and things like that, but mainly their source of income is, is tax taxation mm -hmm. and they draw a lot of tax from Alberta. And, uh, I saw just today, Dennis, uh, speaking of Saskatchewan, the Saskatchewan government, uh, is, is setting up their own revenue organization, uh, yeah. so that they're, they're going to collect federal tax, uh, provincially, which by the way, is there, there's no, there's no law against that. It's totally constitutional. Alberta can do that likewise. So, yeah. uh, they, they, as uh, you know, I guess what I'd say to Dennis is, you know, two can play at that game. Yeah. And Alberta, the Alberta government has a lot to say about how much money leaves this province. And yeah. if it doesn't leave this province and go to Ottawa, because what's happening right now, uh, and, and this is take healthcare, for example. The reason why the federal government has some say over health care is that we're overtaxed in Alberta. The money goes to Ottawa, and then mm -hmm. we have to go hat in hand to Ottawa to beg for money for health care. Whereas yeah. if they just left the money here and let us run our own health care, we'd have a much better um, system because they, they grossly underfund yeah. uh, health care, uh, you know, federally. They haven't increased payments on health care, I think, in, in, in 22 years. So, so uh, you know, that's the, you know, I I think that's one of the strategies uh, that uh, provinces like Alberta and Saskatchewan are going to employ is to restrict the flow or prevent the flow of money to Ottawa, so the money stays locally, 
so that uh, you know good yeah. services uh, here, everything from edu education to healthcare, roads, you name it, infrastructure, uh, it stays in the province and it does yeah. it does the most local good. I think that's well, one we, of the strategies. Yeah, it's one of the things that we espouse all the time is you know the concept of he who has the gold rules, and so. <laughs> yeah. Taking control of provincial taxation, provincial, not federal, but provincial taxation sets the stage for taking control of federal taxation. And that's really where the rubber meets the road. And that's yeah, that, yeah. That, that's what needs to happen. If you really want to have a properly functioning federation, confederation, I should say, um, with, with provincial um, sovereignty within that federation, uh, provincial rather than say sovereignty, how about provincial jurisdiction over uh, numerous areas that have already been defined, but you gotta get the federal government out of those areas as well and let the provinces do their own thing. Uh, and viva la difference, you know, if Quebec does something better uh, than we're doing in Alberta, we can learn from Quebec. But if everything, if everybody's forced to do exactly the same thing, how do you, how do you move forward? You know, um, and this is where you need uh, where you need enterprise, bright individuals that that can come up with new ideas, new ways of delivering services, new technologies, etc. Et and I, I just you know we've we've suffered under Medicare um, uh, as a single form of uh, healthcare delivery, um, you know, for decades now, and and look where we are. You know, we, we've got one of the worst healthcare systems in the world, um, in in a democracy. Uh, Canada Canada is supposed to be a stable democracy, um, and it's, it's certainly not functioning um, uh, as a stable democracy. In fact, it's very unstable right now, and um, and um, we have a plan to fix it, and we 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 can actually save Canada. Well, that's a yes. perfect segue. Uh, Dennis. So there was somebody that asked about the petition that Alberta Prosperity Project was circulating. So yeah. do you want to just take a moment and quickly sure. go over uh, yeah. what's happening with the petition? Yeah. Uh, why it's important to continue to build the Alberta Prosperity Project? Sure. And uh, what that means yeah. for Albertans? Sure. This is this is really quite important. Um, um, as it stands right now, in order to make constitutional change, either the uh, provincial governments can come together and make it happen, uh, but that's pretty unlikely. Um, uh, particularly, you know, if you're gonna make constitutional change, you gotta get over the five hurdles. So, um, so another way it can be done is through what is called the Citizens Initiative Act. And it changed this year. And the requirement for the Citizens Initiative Act is that there be a legal petition um, that is drawn, that is approved, presented and approved, uh, presented to Elections Alberta, approved by Elections Alberta. Um, and once it's approved, then the petition uh, can be circulated um, and you need to gather 600,000 signatures the way it is right now within 90 days. So that's a hurdle that is virtually just about, I would say impossible to overcome. So although we started off in the Alberta Prosperity Project as collecting, and we have thousands of uh, signatories on the petition, because of the 90-day criteria, it's not legal 
uh, in the context of the way the Citizens Initiative Act currently reads. So what we decided to do, and the simple solution here is, is we just simply grow the membership in the Alberta Prosperity Project to seven, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand, a million or more people. And then we've got the contact information now. And then when necessary in like 24 to 30 months is kind of our timeline on this, 24 to 30 months from now, we've got this many people in our Rolodex and we take the legal petition that was drafted by Jeff Rath, uh, we present it to uh, Elections Alberta. Elections Alberta will either approve it or make suggestions uh, to modify it so that it is approved. Then what we do is we gather, once it's approved, we gather our canvassers and we our canvassers now know where to go because we, we can target um, the canvassers to the individuals who are members of the Alberta Prosperity Project. And in which case we can gather the 600,000 signatures, you know, probably in two weeks, never mind 90 days. So that's the, that's the change that we were compelled to make as a result of the change to the Citizens Initiative. The good news is though, that um, the other thing about the Citizens Initiative Act is that um, on the assumption that the UCP remains in power after the May 29th, 2023 election, under those circumstances, my understanding is, is that there's uh, the intention to change the Citizens Initiative Act uh, to make the threshold um, lower, in other words, less than 600,000 and the runway longer that is longer than 90 days. But if we do what I've just suggested that uh, our intention is uh, to do, uh, which is uh, like, a, I don't want to be repetitive on this, uh, but if we just collect the signatures, collect the members in the Alberta Prosperity Project, uh, we, can, we can meet any threshold that the government um, puts in place uh, over any time period. Um, so, I mean that's that's really the simple uh, the simple solution and really the purpose the purpose of it is really to empower the provincial government uh, to be able to negotiate from a position of strength which it can't do right now and this and the and the sovereignty act won't give the provincial government either that negotiating power uh, which is what we would like to see uh, so. And by the way, you know, having a referendum on Alberta independence, um, you don't want to have that referendum on Alberta independence unless you know the, the winning conditions are there. Um, and for anybody who's listening to this, I just want you to understand that independence means different things to different people. For some people, it's, it's Alberta remains in Canada, but with complete control of its wealth and affairs. For others, it's Alberta remains in Canada with some control of its wealth and affairs. For others, it's Alberta 51. For others, it's um, uh, a Western Canadian nation where Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Northwest, BC, Yukon, Northwest Territories, for example, comes together as a Western nation. And, the, and then for others, it's Alberta becomes an independent sovereign nation untethered to Canada. So there's many definitions of Alberta independence, but you can't get any of them 
you can't come close to getting any one of those definitions of Alberta independence um, unless you empower the provincial government. Um, the only way to empower the provincial government was, is with a successful referendum on Alberta independence. Then Alberta goes, the Alberta government goes to Ottawa and it's on equal footing. And one of the key points in all of this is the last line of the fourth paragraph of the Clarity Act, because the Clarity Act is the legal pathway for a province to leave Canada. And Leighton, you and I have discussed this, but that last line says negotiations might lead to secession. So that also means negotiations might lead to Alberta getting everything that it wants within Canada. And that is the means to save Canada because every other province will want the same thing. Yeah. So there are many people, uh, I think there's many people who believe that the Sovereignty Act will be the legislation that fixes Alberta's position within Confederation. I disagree, and it's because I've attended enough APP meetings and I've uh, talked to enough people to know the shortcomings in the Sovereignty Act. Not that I'm saying uh, I don't support it and, and want it to be used to the best of its ability for the people of Alberta, but... Um, it's important to be prepared for everything, whether it's being yeah. prepared for winter or being prepared for a drought. And in this case, the province has to be prepared because if the Sovereignty Act doesn't work as people hope it will, there has to be an or else. And as the mm -hmm. Premier herself has said, the Alberta Prosperity Project and its members uh, made up of like-minded Albertans who want better for Alberta are the or else. Correct. So I would encourage you um, please check out albertaprosperityproject.com. Um, do some reading, sign up, get your membership, and attend a meeting. And uh, I've I've become well aware that we're stronger together. And as we build this uh, educated, informed, and and wide, vibrant spectrum of of Albertans uh, who want something better for this province we become strong enough that we can actually do something that's never been done before. And that is have Alberta either within or external to confederation as they were intended to be managing their own resources, charting their own course and responsible for their own destiny. So there's my pitch for the APP. Okie dokie. Very good. A lot of fun guys. I hope the audience um, that was listening enjoyed the commentary and um, look forward to getting back together with you fellas. Awesome. It was almost like mystery science theater. If you remember that 3000, you know, the little robots talking. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, that was good. That was good. Thank you. <laughs> okay. And, and yes. yeah. And, and likewise, we, yeah, we've, we've said this many times, get out to an APP meeting and, uh, and, there's also lots of information online. We we do Wednesday webinars. We've got a webinar tomorrow too, and uh, I think that is you know uh, fundamental to understand. It's not just one or two topics. It's it's a whole range of topics that deal with with everything that's happening in Alberta and and really Canada and the world too. Yeah, yeah. P.S. If you don't like the way the president of the Alberta Federation of Labor behaved, a man who's supposed to be representing labor in Alberta, send an email to the board, demand his resignation, because that shouldn't be tolerated at any event in this province. Uh, no matter how much you disagree with those around you, uh, the type of behavior we saw from Gill and the things coming out of his mouth was disgusting and has no place in leadership for unions or otherwise. So. Yeah. 
Let maybe, him know. maybe he was just upset on, on how few people there were at the legislature. Uh, well, for to him, be fair, I right? think it was pretty even. It was pretty balanced. There's about, was a, it even? Okay. about 100 of each. Yeah. Okay. 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 Right. That's good to know. All right. Well, good night, guys. And right, everybody, thank you, thank you guys for uh, joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye now. Yeah. Right. Any any last words here, Chris? <laughs> any any last chicken? Really messy. Yes, they are. You better clean yeah. up that chicken. Yeah. And don't forget to eat that egg in the morning. She lays me an egg every day. Super impressed. It's awesome. I need I need a couple of chickens at home too. Well, I've got a couple dogs do that are on the way. Can <laughs> a couple of dogs. Uh, I'm not even sure if I can get chickens in uh, Calgary. I don't think we can. It's a support chicken. Well, maybe not a support chicken. Or maybe maybe I can uh, maybe I'll just have to identify as a pirate. Okay. And put it on your yeah. shoulder. I think that's a parrot. And I don't think parrots it lay should be, eggs. It should well, be maybe a parrot. I guess they do. Perry from the Chris and Carrie show. And yeah, you get a chicken. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's been almost two hours. So I think uh, that'll uh, that'll wrap it up. But thank you so much. Um, I think we'll end up doing probably just a Chris and Carrie show. Maybe even tomorrow. Maybe even tomorrow night we'll see what's going on. Oh, no, because we get the webinar tomorrow night. Well, maybe maybe one day soon. We'll do this. There's a few things that we should probably be uh, be talking about. <laughs> yes. All right. Then. All right. All right, Thanks, you guys. I'm going to go get a beer because I've had more than enough water and I never drink the stuff anyway. Now I want a water. Just kidding. All right. All right. <laughs> All right good night, everybody. Night.